welcome to the Gaming and Chill Podcast, episode 111. Today we're going to be talking the history of one of the pillars of the gaming industry. We're talking the history of Nintendo. But first, this episode is sponsored by Humble Bundle. Thanks guys. Our partner for this week's podcast is Humble Bundle. Humble Bundle is an online digital store that sells some of the most popular games from the most popular game developers. But that's not all. They also offer bundle deals that change weekly and monthly that allow you to pay a designated amount for a collection of games or ebooks that can often save you hundreds of dollars. Humble Bundle then donates portions of its proceeds to a featured charity. In addition to this awesome business model, they have also partnered with us so we get a small portion of any purchase or donation through their website. All you need to do is go to our website, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click the Humble Bundle Partner logo and shop for any games of your heart's desire. Thanks, Humble Bundle. Back to you guys. So, as you know, we here at the Gaming and Chill podcast are all fans of gaming and anime, so thought to do something a little different. We're going to be talking about the history of gaming companies, game industry, game uh, series, and then possibly moving into animation and animation studios. But we thought we'd start with, well, the granddaddy of them all, the one that we all probably started on, Nintendo. So without further ado, let's get into the history of Nintendo. In September 23rd, 1889, Fusajira Yamauchi started the company Nintendo Kopai in Kyoto, Japan, as a Hanafuda, a Japanese playing cards company. Many believe that Nintendo means leave luck to heaven or to leave one's fortune in the hands of fate. And while those assumptions may be right, they might also be wrong. In the words Nintendo, the word ten is present. And in the Japanese kanji, this symbol is also present in a different word, Tengu. To understand the connection, we have to go back even further than the beginning of Nintendo itself. Hanafuda was created as a gambling game. Each card suit was marked with a different type of flower. In Japan, there were many games that gamblers used to win and lose money, but the government kept cracking down on the old products, so new products had to come out. Enter Hanafuda cards. They became popular as a gambling game akin to poker or blackjack. Illegal gambling dens would open and abandon shrines and temples. Being the holy places, Japanese gods, or kami, was in the player's mindset. Now, in Japan, the word flower and nose are pronounced the same way. Hana. So, when a person would come to the house of a suspected gambling den, the patron would rub their nose at the guard as a signal that they were looking to get in on the action. With the gambling being in Japanese shrines and temples associated with kami in the nose, the tengu became a symbol for gambling. A tengu is a Japanese kami with a elongated nose. Also, in these gambling halls, 
another organization was created, one known the world over, the Yakuza. Now, the world may know them as a dangerous and violent group. However, they refer to themselves as Ninkyo Dante, or chivalrous organization. Take note of the syllable Nin. Now, when Fusajiro Yamauchi created his company, Nin Ten Do, Hanafuda had been legal for three years. He started making these cards. Originally, they were an expensive product, but he started making a cheaper product, and on the case or container, he marked it with a previously mentioned kame, the Tengu. Thus, Nintendo was born. From here, Nintendo changed hands and sometimes names. Fusajiro had no male children, and as such, he passed the company down to his son-in-law, Sakido. Because in Japan, if you have no natural-born sons, you basically adopt your son-in-law. So Sekido eventually became Sekido Yamauchi. In 1929, Sekido became the president. And then in 1933, established a joint project with another company and renamed the company Yamauchi Nintendo & Co., In 1947, Sekido started the distribution company Marafuku Co. Ltd. to distribute the cards that they made. Then, when it was time to pass down the company, he also had no sons, and passed it down to his son-in-law, Shikinojo Inaba, eventually would become a Yamauchi. There was a problem when Shikinojo left his family. However, the company was passed to his son, Hiroshi. In 1949, Hiroshi left school and took the presidency of Nintendo, and then two years later, renamed the company Nintendo Playing Card Co. Ltd. And in 1953, became the first company to make cards out of plastic. Around 1956, after a meeting with the United States Playing Card Company, yes, that's its actual name, he realized something everyone knows now. No one continues to buy cards if the old ones are still good, and business started to slow down. In 1959, Nintendo struck a deal with the great mouse, Disney. And they were allowed to start printing cards with Disney characters on the cards. And thus it took cards from gambling medium to toy. And they were able to sell the cards as toys to children, with books containing information on how to play different card games. Following this this success, in 1962, Nintendo was listed in the Osaka Stock Exchange as a publicly traded company. Also following the success, Nintendo Playing Card Co. LTD became known simply as Nintendo. With all the new revenue, Nintendo tried new means of creating more relevance and market swell. They tried setting up a taxi company, 
Love Hotel, a toy company, and even a food company selling things like instant noodles and things like that. Nothing really stuck, except one thing. Toys. A critical moment in Nintendo's history was when they hired one young man in 1965, Gunpei Yokoi. He was hired as a mechanical engineer, but soon, history would make him one of the most pivotal men in gaming history. Now at this time, toy companies Bandai and Namco were dominating the toy industry. Nintendo had to continually make new products to compete. In 1966, while Yamauchi was walking through the factory, he noticed an extending arm. This arm was made by Gunpei Yukoi. Yamauchi then ordered Gunpei to make it into an actual product for the 1966 Christmas Rush. Thus, Nintendo's first blockbuster toy, the Ultra Hand, was made, and Yukoi was moved into the product development department. Now, Yukoi was very skilled at electrical engineering, and while working with Masayuki Yumera from Sharp, the Nintendo Beam Gun was created. This was the ancestor of the NES Zapper. In the early 70s, Nintendo partnered with Magnavox. The Magnavox Odyssey came with a light gun accessory, shooting gallery. This was Nintendo's first commercially available video game console. In 1975, the first arcade game ever, EVR Race, became available, and after that, several other arcade games came out. In 1981, Donkey Kong was released, with their with Shigeru Miyamoto as the mastermind. During this time, Nintendo started to dabble in the handheld video game consoles with Game and Watch. From 1980 to 1991, the Game and Watch was produced. Each device had a single game, a clock, and an alarm, and that all of it all came on an LCD screen. In 1983, Nintendo released a new product, the Famicom, in Japan. This was Nintendo's first attempt at cartridge-based video games. There were a few bugs, but that didn't stop them from considering expansion into America. In 1983, the video game crash happened. Something we'll go into, possibly in another episode of the podcast. That nearly wiped out all the competitors in the market. Except for one. Sega. So, Nintendo decided to have a tighter grip on the quality of their games, creating the seal of quality. That was one of the main factors that led into the video game crash, was... People were just flooding the market with terrible games, games that were so glitchy and buggy that they were barely able to be played, games that basically anybody with a wild idea and a little bit of money could have a video game that wasn't that good. But hey, you had a video game, 
So Nintendo decided they weren't going to do that anymore, and they'd only release games that they approved, and no real third-party developer games were allowed to be uh, put on without Nintendo knowing about it. In 1985, in order to counter the bad view of video games in the West, they released the NES with the ROB, Robotic Operating Buddy, was able to sell it as a toy. Also that year, Super Mario Bros. was released for the Famicom in Japan and became a huge success. By the end of 1986, the NES was sold all across the United States. Also that year, Metroid came out, and the following year, The Legend of Zelda came out, and a dynasty was born. By 1988, Nintendo of America released Nintendo Power, which ran until 2012. It was a magazine that contained hints, strategies, upcoming games, all sorts of information that any gaming kid wanted and needed and craved. This was long before the podcast industry, the internet came out. So having that Nintendo Power to give you a hint as to what to do in a video game meant you possibly became the coolest kid on the block. In 1989, Nintendo released the Game Boy along with Tetris. Now the price of the console, the game, Tetris, and the durability made it a much better choice than the Microvision from Milton Bradley, which had several problems with it. Eventually, the Game Boy sold 118 million units. And then, Super Mario Land was released and sold 14 million units. Also, later in 1989, the Super Famicom was announced. In 1990, the Super Famicom was released and sold out across Japan. And in 1991... The SNES was released in the U.S. and in Europe in 1992. That's what they decided to call the Super Famicom outside of Japan, the SNES. This console revolutionized gaming. It standardized the four-button input method that is on nearly every console. A, B, X, Y. In Japan, the SNES was the clear ruler of the video game console war that was raging. But, in America, Sega was winning, with their new mascot, Sonic the Hedgehog, a direct competitor for Mario. However, the superior games such as Super Mario World, The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, Street Fighter, and the Final Fantasy series took Nintendo into the lead in the console war, absolutely crushing Sega. In 1991, Nintendo was accused of price-fixing by the Federal Trade Commission and the Attorneys General in New York and Maryland after threatening to cut off trade to retailers who discounted the system. This was... A big no-no. 
and was one of several tactical mistakes that they made along their trip. In 1992, Yokoi and the rest of the research development team began planning for a new console that would be released as the Virtual Boy. And by 1993, the Nintendo had become one of the top 10 companies in the world. In 1993, Nintendo announced a product would be named Ultra 64 and would be released in arcades. However, Ultra 64 would be a tactical mistake, as Konami would be the only ones able to release games such as Ultimate, Ultra Tennis, Ultra Track and Field, because they owned the copyright on Ultra. It's somehow, some way. But, Nintendo not being swayed, in 1995, renamed the system to the Nintendo 64 and announced for it to be released in 1996, a full three years after they announced it. Can you imagine hearing about it and waiting three years? That's a long period of time. But also just think, they began development for the Virtual Boy in 1992, and they released it in 1995. But it sold poorly. But they believed that they could sell well in America but they were wrong. It just didn't work out so well. That same year, a new competitor entered the video game market and started to dominate. The Sony PlayStation. Thus, we had PlayStation, Sega, and Nintendo vying for compatibility in the growing video game market. In 1996, the Nintendo 64 sold over 500,000 consoles in the first day in Japan, and in September, sold the initial shipment of 350,000 in September in America. Given that Nintendo had strict quality control and had stayed with the cartridge-based games, many third-party developers were drawn to the PlayStation. Just imagine selling out of 350,000 units. That is insane. But it's something that we'll see later on. In 1996, Nintendo released the Game Boy Pocket, which was designed by Yokoi shortly before he retired. Also in 1996, another dynasty was born. Pokemon. The designer, Satoshi Tariji, this allowed by, but it was designed by him, and it allowed them to retake the con throne and the console war. Nintendo finally beat out PlayStation. However, in 1997, the creator of Metroid and the Game Boy, Gunpei Yukoi, died in a car accident at the age of 56 one of the beginning founders of modern-day Nintendo, the video game console, was gone. In 2001, and I'm sorry, in 1998, the Game Boy Color was released in Japan and in America and Europe one month later. In 2001, Nintendo made serious power moves, releasing two different gaming consoles in one year.
the Nintendo GameCube, and the Game Boy Advanced in both Japan and America. In 2002, Minoru Araka and Hiroshi Yamauchi resigned as president of Nintendo of America and Nintendo, respectively. And uh, Tasuki, Tasumi Kimimisha and Satoru Iwata took their reins. Many gamers are absolutely familiar with Iwata. In 2004, Nintendo announced and released a new handheld completely separate from the Game Boy, the Nintendo DS, with two screens, one being touchscreen. This was the first commercially successful touchscreen gaming console, with its clamshell design, was able to be fit into your pocket and go, and was released with with pretty good games, Metroid Hunters being one of them, and allowed for gaming to be taken on the road a little bit more with its rechargeable battery over needing external batteries. Every handheld up until this point needed double A's, triple A's. However, the Nintendo DS was built with a rechargeable battery, making it much easier to take on the go. In 2005, Nintendo opened their first commercial store in New York to much success, and it has uh, several items from its past, including some Yanafudo cards and everything. I have personally been there, and it is an amazing store. It is the equivalent of Mecca to a gamer such as myself. You can go see lots of history, go see lots of games. I've seen games there that I've never seen before and didn't know existed i've played and loved but it's in new york so it's a little harder to go to if you're going to new york you should go there that year at e3 they announced a new product known as project revolution which would later be called the wii in 2006 the ds light was born it had a brighter screen, smaller design, and generally upgraded on the DS. In 2006, Reggie Fizumi was made president of Nintendo of America. Asatsumi Kimimishi was made the chairman of the board and CEO. And our bodies were ready for the legend and the meme machine that is Reggie Fizumi. In 2006, the Wii was released. Selling out everywhere. I think it was a good six to seven months before I even got my hands on one. So I had to stare at my copy of Legend of Zelda, Twilight Princess, and the Game Guide and not be able to play them and didn't know anyone who had a Wii. So that was the dark times of Nintendo for me of, well, I just want a Wii and I can't have one. That... It was part because it was targeted at a completely different demographic, though. Because PlayStation and now the Xbox were competing for the older teens to adults. The Wii, however, was targeted at kids and families, making it a much more economic choice for small families to pick up a Wii and play Wii Sports. And, uh, Wii Sports... So it, it targeted a different demographic, which helped it to sell out. And Nintendo had, Nintendo 
has had issues with their uh, product release before, but that's changed in the modern era. Now, in 2008, the DSi was released in Japan. It had a front and rear-facing camera, along with some new software, and the ability to have downloaded gaming content. This system was released in 2009 in North America, and to my recollection, it did not. Rec- it was one of the first games consoles to have a rear and front-facing camera, which I think is amazing. Now that everybody has a piece of technology that has that. In 2011, the Nintendo 3DS was born. It was released in Japan. This it was riding on the wave of 3D technology, but unlike the others, did not require special glasses to see, and instead used parallax barrier autostereoscopic. Yes, I had that written down, and no, I cannot repeat that any other time. I had to actually physically break down the syllables to make sure I pronounced it correctly. In 2011 also, the Wii U was announced, and jokes such as, What's that? Is that the ambulance that's going Wii U? No wait, it's just the gamers, was announced. But it confused many people, because they didn't know if it was a Wii add-on, or something new entirely. But, as we know now, it became its own thing. The tablet contained tech not found in a lot of handheld gaming markets. It had an accelerometer, a gyroscope, a camera, NFC, and a microphone. Yet these are now regular in our phones, and at the time also was found in phones such as the iPhone and the Androids at the time, but for gaming consoles, it wasn't a thing. So, it's interesting that they broke ground there. However, on July 11th, 2015, Satoru Iwata died of a bile duct tumor at the age of 55, and the gaming world mourned. Shigeru Miyamoto and Genko Takeda took the lead until Tatsumi Kimimisha took the reins. And when I say the gaming world mourned, I truly mean it. I, I believe I've seen some fan art of even Master Chief and Sonic uh, at, a, at, a, at a wake for Satoru Iwata. It brought the gaming community in a way together because he took over in time when Gaming was still growing in many households. And some would argue that it helped bring it helped bring gamers together. In 2016, the Nintendo Switch was announced, and then released in March 2017, with Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild being the flagship game, and Super Mario Mario Odyssey to follow later that year. They became games of the year. In 2019, I'm sorry, in February 2019, Reggie fils retired from Nintendo of America and Doug Bowser took the reins as president, thus making Bowser finally is in charge of Mario. That was a brief look at the history of Nintendo. It's short, but there's a lot of history there. You span all the way back to just to just old times in 1889. That is a hundred over a hundred years ago, about a hundred and thirty-ish years ago. 
That is astounding that it went from a company that would argue would argue and say Hanafudo was only a gambling game. So it went from a company dedicated to gambling to becoming household name for many families. Kids with DSs playing Pokemon as they're learning to trade Pokemon with their friends, as they're picking up a Switch for the first time going, wow, Zelda is pretty cool, Mario is pretty cool, and they're looking forward to a new Pokemon, Shield and Sword, coming out later this year. And it had roots in gambling. It shows that time makes things more interesting. If you looked back at any one moment in old Nintendo history, you'd go, I don't, I don't see how they got to this point. I don't get how they went from a, a game played in gambling halls to a game played in your living room with Grandma as she's dominating you at Wii Sports. She's looking at you going, step up, Johnny, step up. I'm the bowling champion. It's interesting to take a look at history. And actually, that's why I wanted to do this, is because I knew that Nintendo had a playing card background. But in researching this, I realized they were deeply entrenched in the gambling business. And they shed that skin, and they don't embrace it entirely, but I can't say I blame them. Whereas some companies started in gambling, moved to gaming, decided to get out of that and go back to gambling. So time really is an amazing ingredient to look at history through. And arguably, time is the only way to look through history. But also understanding that what small origins one thing had doesn't mean that's all it's ever going to be. Take, for example, this podcast. Started small. It's growing. But who knows where it could be in another 10, 20 years. You never know. Will it still be around? Who knows? Will it grow into something else? Who knows? But... If you give up, if we give up, then it won't. So take it out into the effect of what you're doing, whether it's streaming, content creation, writing, writing books, fan fiction, movies, music, anything you're doing, sports, playing baseball, soccer, football, it doesn't matter because who knows where you'll go. But... I can tell you right now, if you stop doing what you're doing, I know where it'll go, that career will go. Nowhere. And it may seem like, well, it's not going anywhere right now. Oh my God, why am I doing this? Me playing football is not good. I'm not going to be in the NFL. Well, if you quit, you won't. But if you continue... You just might. Some in content creation company realm would say, that's just not feasible. Not everyone can go to the NFL. And you're right. They can't. 
But I don't think that all those years ago, Yamauchi started Nintendo. It was like, I am going to be known in every household. I am going to be the best. Everybody will know Mario. Everybody will know Pokemon and Zelda and Metroid and all of these things. But you know what he did do? He took an opportunity. He took a risk. Creating a game in the gambling era is risky business. He took an opportunity and he kept growing. He didn't just say, I'm only going to be doing playing cards and that's it. He took a risk. He took a risk by enabling Gunpei to create a toy after seeing it just in a factory, just as a joke. He took a risk. Sometimes doing something new is a risk. Doing this history podcast is a risk because it's not something that we normally do. But if you don't take risks in life, what are you doing? You've got to have a plan. You've got to have that ability to go, you know what? I'm going to do this. If you don't, you'll always be left with what could have been. And let me tell you, that thought will eat away at your heart, your mind, and your soul. So, in summarization, the Nintendo, the history of Nintendo, it's great. And then you look at it, you apply it to your life, learn the lessons that they learned, take those risks, take those opportunities, and move it into your life. Don't just be stuck making and doing one thing. Be open to growth. That is where we'll end the podcast for the day. I'm hoping that we can do more of these history lessons and see if they are applicable to our current modern day lives. So if you liked it, please, please, please share it with your friends. Let them know. Leave a like and subscribe wherever you're listening. Google Play, Apple, SoundCloud, all three. Do it. Leave a review. Leave a like. Share it with your friends, even the non-gaming friends, so they can understand where it's coming to. And if nothing else, so they can hear that that, 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 quote-unquote inspirational message here at the end. So, until next week, take those opportunities take those risks. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. And thank you to all of our listeners out there because we really couldn't do it without you. We hope you enjoyed this week's Gaming and Chill podcast. If you'd like to know more about the podcast, follow us on social media, or learn how to support the podcast directly, check us out at www.gamingandchillpodcast.com. Also, be sure to stay up to date with Gaming and Chill by following us on Twitter at at gaming underscore in underscore chill. Yes, that is gaming underscore in as in Nancy underscore chill. 
You can also find links to the articles, games, and videos mentioned in this podcast in the description below. Thanks again for watching, and until next time...